Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, the Apostle Paul is talking and he said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I want to preach to you this morning a familiar message this time of year for abundant life people, uh, but a message that I feel all the way down to my feet, titled, I haven't always been like this. You ought to have a testimony that allows you to say, I haven't always been like this. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together, Lord. I thank you that I haven't always been like this, God. I haven't always loved you. I haven't always been a Christian. I haven't always been in church on Sunday morning to give you honor and praise and glory. Father, I pray today that you'd anoint me to say things that would honor you, Lord. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, God. I pray for every person in this room today that you would teach us, that you would guide us, Lord. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us, God. Show us how much you love us. Declare yourself to us through your word, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I haven't always been like this. The Apostle Paul was a great man, and God used him to write half the books in the New Testament. See, the thing about the Bible, and I want you to get this. I've said it before, but I want you to understand The Bible is a book that was written way back then to people then. But because God inspired the writers who wrote it, he he not only meant it for them then, but he superintended it to be his word for us now. What am I saying? Paul is writing in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He's, He's writing this letter that in his mind he is writing to his spiritual son Timothy about issues that Timothy was going through as a leader in the first century church. But God was inspiring him to say those words that would be life and that would be a living word to us thousands of years later. That's one of the most incredible things about the Bible to me. When I read it, I see that it's addressing situations then, but it's also God speaking to us now. You got to learn how to get something for your now from what God was saying to them in their then. The Bible's different than any other book. It's not just a newspaper. A newspaper reports what happened uh, yesterday, last year, whenever they're talking about it. But that's just as far as it goes. You, you read it and it's over. You never finish reading the Bible because if you ever start reading it for real, you'll find out the more you read it, the more you find out there's stuff in there that you didn't see. The Bible is alive, it's living, it's an incredible book. And this man, uh, Paul, who originally was named Saul, but God changed him so much that he gave him a new name, was 
an, an incredible man. And in verse 12, he said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, comma. Always pause on the punctuation. Take the Bible when you read it and slow it down so you can get it in bite-sized pieces and digest it. And he said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, comma. That's enough right there. That's enough Bible right there that everybody in the room that's a real Christian ought to be able to live off that. This is one of the greatest keys to life you'll ever find. I've told you many times that if you want what other people have, you got to do what they did to get it. The Apostle Paul had closeness with God. He had anointing. He had favor. He had a fantastic life. He also had suffering. He also went through stuff, but he had God on his side. And here's one of the things that he did that we got to learn how to do. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. I read on social media yesterday somebody put one of those memes up there. Listen, please do not send me any forward this to 12 friends and magic voodoo dust. Call it God if you want to. is going to make your blessing come through. Please do not send me anything that says if I forward this to 20 of my closest friends that God is going to love me. Okay? I don't play voodoo on social media. And I don't play with God like that. But I saw this meme somebody put up. What if you woke up today with only what you thank God for yesterday? What if you woke up with today only what you thank God for yesterday? Think about that. Hopefully you thank God for life and you woke up with life. Hopefully you thank God for the people that live under your roof and you woke up with all of them. But Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. He understands thankfulness and he understands who God is. And I want you to know if you are not thankful, life's going to be hard on you. Life, for some people, on the outward look, seems easy, while for other people, it seems hard. Some people seem to flow through life under a blessing, while other people flow through life under a dark cloud. And I want you to know that most of that is really about gratitude. People talk about having an attitude of gratitude. Thankfulness will change your whole life. Sometimes people are too bitter over what happened in the past. They're not even thankful for what's going on in the present. Don't, don't let your attitude be so bitter that you're not thankful. Don't let your situation be so bitter that you're not cognizant of how many blessings that you have. I told you that the poorest people, well, not the poorest, but most of the poor people I know have at least a pack of cigarettes, a lighter, and a lottery ticket in their pocket. That's not the same in other countries. You look at these banners across the world where we support missionaries, leper colonies in poverty-stricken places in Africa where the white-collar government workers drawing the biggest checks live off $50 a month. Could you imagine? You say, well, cost of living must be cheap. It is, but they're broke. And, and the poor there is, is different than here. But do you know there are people that live in some of the most poverty-stricken areas in the world, but they have a grateful heart. They have, they have thankfulness in their heart. If, if all they know is that God loves them and sent Jesus to die for them, and one day he's going to deliver them from their present situation to an eternal glory, that gives them enough to be thankful about. Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. 
comma, who has enabled me? If you ever want to be anything in the kingdom of God, you got to stop working and you got to start letting God work through you. Too many people do what they do for the Lord, preaching, teaching, deacon, ushering, living their Christian life in their own power. But the apostle Paul had such a closeness to God, he understood it wasn't what he was doing. It was what God was enabling him, empowering him, doing through his life. Do you know God wants to take your mouth, your words, your thoughts, your actions, your hands and your feet and get his job done? It's an incredible thing that the God of all creation would partner with us to be his hands and his feet. Paul said, he enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. Now, here is where the twist begins on this passage of Scripture. The Bible says that, that God counted Paul faithful. Now, if you study Paul's life, he really couldn't get a job as a pastor in America. Pastors... Uh, churches in America look for preachers the wrong kind of way, most of them. They put together a pulpit search committee. The, the church that our church had its origins in, there was a church in Middleburg that was looking for a preacher. They put a pulpit search committee together that included a girl that wasn't even a, a full adult. They had Amber Fash, who Amber Gillard, on their pulpit search committee looking for a pastor. And she was too young to really even know how to get dressed in the morning. I mean, she was making do on getting dressed. But most churches put together a group of people that may or may not be saved, may or not be spiritual, and they interview for pastors. I'm going to tell you this. Paul could not have gotten a job as a pastor at a church in America because his past was bad. Anybody glad God can take a bad past and do something good with it? It wasn't Paul's past that made him faithful. It was God who can look into your heart and knows the future and knew that Paul's heart was faithful. Don't let your past define you, Christian. Don't let what you've been through limit you and stop you. It's not about what you've been through. It's about what God is putting in you to do. And he said, God, put me into the ministry. I've seen lots of different people in ministry in my life. I've been serving God for a long time, and I have seen God-called ministers. I've seen mama-called ministers. I've seen daddy-called ministers, and I've seen self-called ministers. The only one that is really worth talking about is the God-called minister. My dearest friend, accountability partner, prayer partner, uh, pastors of church up the road, Pastor Gene Dillon, and he says all the time, to really pastor a church, you've either got to be called or crazy. But it's shocking to me the number of people that just decide that they're going to be pastors where God never put them into ministry. Be careful of people like this. I don't like a lot of cliches, but I do like this one. Think about it. One man put it this way. Some were called, some were sent. Some just packed up their junk and went. If God called someone, see, in the Bible, God always called a person to a ministry or he sent a person out from a ministry. The greatest way is to be called and sent. If you find somebody that was called and sent, you're safe. I was functioning as a, a intercessory prayer leader, a couples minister, and uh, teaching a Sunday school class at the church I was just minding my business at. 
when God called me to pastor and to start this church. I talked to my pastor about it, and I'm like, they got 16 adults and some kids. I had 200 people in my Sunday school class counting couples and their children. I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I'm teaching to more people here than, than I be teaching to there. And he told me, I believe God wants us to send you over there. So I had a people that called me, and I had a people that sent me. Listen, there's a lot of people that weren't called or sent. They just packed up their junk and went. You can go online right now for $15 to $25, depending on how nice you want the certificate to look, and you can get self-ordained. Don't trust anybody that's ordained on the Internet. I don't care what they tell you. I don't care what they say the reason they did it for. They got ordained on the Internet because nobody that was truly ordained wanted to let them in the club. See, you can't get ordained by somebody who's not ordained. But you to, if you, you can get it online, I'm telling you, you could be Pastor Bubba Neck Gentry before lunch. You go on your cell phone right now and, and, and print it out via Bluetooth technology. You can do marriages, you can do funerals, you can do weddings. You could rent you a little spot somewhere, throw a sign up, and say, my name is Pastor Bobo, and we welcome you to our Bubba Church. But it wouldn't have anything to do with God counting you faithful and putting you into ministry. Real ministry is done by people who were put into ministry. And Paul said he thanked God who put him into ministry. And then he lets out the truth in verse 13. He said, who before was a blasphemer, comma. Paul starts talking about his life, see, because Paul had a testimony. And everybody in this room needs to have a testimony. A testimony tells how you used to be, what happened to you, and how you changed. Well, Paul had a testimony. He had a past, like everyone has a past. His past was out there. He said he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. This dude was a government sellout. He was a self-righteous people trader. He was a race trader because he was Jewish working for the Roman government putting mostly Jewish people in prison and having them killed for converting from Judaism to Christianity. When Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, a lot of people started becoming Christians in the Middle East. And the government didn't like that, and the Jewish leaders didn't like that. So they hired a, a bunch of shady folk who would go out and get people arrested and have them killed. The Apostle Paul was one of those people. And this is why when I read the New Testament and all the books he wrote, I think about the people that were listening to him. See, because he wrote letters to people in churches in city like Galatia and Philippi, and he talked to those people and he told them that, he said, be followers of me as I follow God. He said, watch how I live and live like me and you'll be who God wants you to be. And I'm thinking, you know, there are people in the room who just four years earlier can think about their mother or their father that because they became a Christian, this dude had them locked up and murdered. Could you sit under that guy? I know people that can't stay under no preacher. As soon as they find out the preacher's not perfect, and, and I can't receive from him because he's not perfect, they just rise up and leave and go somewhere else. I don't know where they think they're going to go because no preacher is perfect, but I can tell you this. 
I don't know any preachers that have done dirt Paul's done. I mean, you can find dirt on anybody, but this dude had people killed for being Christian. This dude had people arrested and then was pastoring their family members. Could you imagine? He said, but I obtained mercy. See, read between the punctuation. Those four words can be the key to your life. If you can ever really say those four words and understand them, if you can ever really lock into those four words and apply them to your life and know it's true of you, it's going to change everything about you. I hope that there's somebody in the room today that can honestly say, but I obtained mercy. Uh, he said, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He went on to verse 14 to say, the grace of the Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. See, he found something that he didn't have before. He, he was a certain way. He was out there arresting people, didn't want them to be Christians. He was blaspheming the name of Christ. He was locking people up, murdering them just for being Christians. It was a barbaric time, and he was the lead barbarian. He said, but the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. There was a song that came out a long time ago. It said, looking for love in all the wrong places. And still today in 2017, that song may not be popular, but there's still people that are looking for love in all the wrong places. They're looking for acceptance in all the wrong places. They're looking for purpose and a bigger meaning in all the wrong places. But the Apostle Paul, he found the grace of God, and it brought this big faith. And this big love, which can only be found in Jesus. Jesus said that he's the only way to heaven, and nobody else can come to God any other way except through him. I wonder if you have obtained mercy. I wonder if you realize in that mercy how big that faith should be and how great that love really is. In verse 15, he said, this is a faithful saying. Now, everything Paul is saying is faithful. When a leader, when a spiritual leader, a spiritual parent, when a pastor, a teacher says, this is a faithful saying, or says, wake up, uh, you need to get this, don't miss this, he's going to say something really big here, or at least it's big to him. He says, it's worthy of all acceptation. Everybody should be able to accept this. He said that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you want to know why Jesus came to the earth, there's the why right there. If you want a mission statement for Jesus Christ, a purpose, a vision statement for Jesus Christ, here it is right there. Why did Jesus come to a world that would reject him, spit on him, strip him naked, beat him bloody, hang him on a cross and kill him? He came into the world to save sinners, semicolon. You got to think about that. See, there's some people, I talk to people everywhere I go, and the question I ask is, are you a Christian? And I can tell really by their answer whether or not they are. When they say, well, I'm trying to be, I know they're not. When they say, I hope so, I know they're not. When they say, I've been, a, I've been in church my whole life, I know they're not. When they say, my daddy was a mason who laid the cornerstone on the big church down, I know that they're not because none of those things indicate to me that they ever saw themselves as a sinner before a holy God that needed his grace, mercy, and forgiveness to bring salvation. He said that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
What do we need to be saved? I've had people ask me, what would I need to be saved from? And I've had people tell me, I never killed anybody. I never really did anything that bad. I've never been to jail, blah, 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 blah. That's why I love people who did big dirt. You don't get that out of big dirt, folk. You really don't. You See, you go and you start witnessing and you come up on some people and, and you, you, you start telling them about Jesus. And they, they're going to say, well, I've never done anything that happened. I don't believe I'm a sinner. We have a dude uh, presidenting our country right now who doesn't believe that he ever did any sin. Let me tell you something. That kind of dude ain't a Christian. I'm not here preaching politics. I'm preaching Bible. You got to know you're a sinner. Now, hopefully, he's had some miraculous conversion since then. But listen, I have heard people tell me, well, I don't believe I've ever done anything that wrong. Uh, you don't get people coming out of big dirt saying that. Yeah, see, because here's how, and, and I've taught our leaders how, how you lead somebody to Christ. First thing you got to ask them is, do you believe you ever committed a sin? And you know, people that have been done big dirt, oh, Lord, man, if anybody sinned, it was me. And then they start telling you, I, I, I brought the party. Are you kidding me? I, 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 I grew the weed, bought the weed from myself, paid my own pocket, gave it away to my friends. They quit being my friends when I quit buying it. They can tell you about prison. They can tell you about jail. They can tell you about when they ripped off their mama. They can tell you when they one strung out on crack, stole everything from there. Listen, I like people who know that they are sinners because they know they need to be saved. Saved, saved, saved from what? Well, obviously, saved from the big thing, which is hell. I do not want to go to hell. I've heard preachers say, missing hell is not a good enough reason to get saved, and you shouldn't get saved just to buy some fire insurance. Listen, above and beyond everything, I want to miss hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be lit on fire. My... Seth asked me, my youngest son asked me the weirdest questions all the time. I've tried to make him stop, but it just hadn't worked yet. Dad, would you rather be eaten to death by a dinosaur or stomped to death by an elephant? You got any other options in there, Junior? What you trying to do, get my insurance money? Dad, would you rather fall out of a plane without a parachute or fall out of a plane with a parachute that doesn't work? What kind of options are these? Boy, where is your mind at? Dad, would you rather be strangled to death while you slept or strangled to death while you were awake. You see me falling out of a plane, getting strangled, ate by animals, dinosaurs coming after me, and elephants. Dad, do you think it'd be more painful to drown to death or to be burned up alive? Well, I've got an answer to that. I don't have an answer to no parachute, bad parachute. 
I don't have an answer to a dinosaur or an elephant. Come on now. A di- oh, yeah. Uh, well, bring the dinosaur out. Uh, that's not happening. But I have an answer to whether it's worse to be burnt to death or drowned. Now, drowning is a difficult thing. My sister and I drowned one time. We, we were in Spain. Spain? You sure? It seemed like it was in Spain. Did we go to Spain? We, did we go to a beach in Spain? All right, you sailed to Virginia Beach. So we walk out. We're just small kids being unparented as usual. And we walk out. It's the ocean. Oh, you know, we've been, we've been living in England. We know nothing about the ocean. They got ocean over there. It's too cold to get in. And so we're just walking, and we walk, you know, it's just knee-deep, waist-deep. We keep walking out. All of a sudden, we're, we're in no water at all. We're on the sand. We just sit down. We're in the middle of the ocean sitting on a, what, what we now know as a sandbar. We just thought it was a beach. We are sitting down just playing on this sandbar. So tide comes in. No more sandbar. They start getting up to our waist. We're like, well, we better walk in because we can't swim. Not good. And we start walking in, and the current gets us, and the water's over our head, and we are drowning to the point where we had to be rescued by someone because we cannot save ourselves. I know what it's like not to be able to save myself. In a drowning situation, that's bad, and I don't want to get eat by a dinosaur, stomped by an elephant. I don't want to fall out of a plane or none of those other things. I don't want to drown, but that's not the worst way to go. Burning is the worst way to go. You say, how can you know that? You never, you never, you, you almost drowned. You didn't really drown. You, you never been burnt. Listen, if there was a worse torture in the world than burning, that's what hell would have been. God would have made hell something different. Whew, I don't know, though. I wouldn't want to be eternally drowning, though. That's, <laughs> that's rough. But I surely don't want to be eternally burning in hell. You say, what did he say? What's he saving people from? Well, he's saving people from, from, from hell. He's saving, no, but not only that. If there was no heaven and no hell, he wants to save you from yourself. He wants to save you from your destructive nature. He wants to save you from being your own worst enemy. He wants to come into your life and change you to the point where you can really begin to progress and move forward and stop asking yourself, why am I always falling behind? He wants to save you he, he, from, from hell. He wants to save you from yourself he wants to save you from the situation that you're in if we had time right now to go around the room and listen to everybody's situation we'd be able to say man there's some jacked up people in here we would be able to say there's some sinners in here but the bible says all have sinned and it's not until you realize that you're a sinner that needs to be saved that you truly can ever really find God. Paul went on and he said something. And listen, I, I believe every word in the Bible is true. I know it is because it says so of itself. It says that every word in it is right, is pure, is holy, is established in heaven. It's, it's solid. It's a firm foundation. It's unchanging. It's unshifting. It, it, it'll never be done away with. Uh, but there's some things in the Bible, although I know that they're true, they just honestly don't make a lot of sense to me. I call those disconnects. Uh, the, the Bible says that uh, 
when we're in Christ, we become a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. Well, I know lots of folk that claim to be saved and all things didn't become new. I know somebody that preaches at a church uh, that is a pastor of a church that is truly born again. Uh, Where's Timberlands a lot of times when he preaches in, in church with funny collars and sleeves, but they, 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 everything ain't become new in his life. I know the word is true, but it don't always seem like it, like my mind catches it. So I understand when I have these disconnects, it's on my mind and not on the Bible because the Bible's right. My understanding's just not perfect. But, man, when Paul says he's the chief sinner, I'm thinking, well, I've done some pretty, I've done some pretty big dirt in my life, Paul. We might run together. And then I think, man, I pastor a church full of jacked up people, man. I... You might not be the chief sinner. You might, you know, you you might be the 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 you know, you might be the 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 first class. You might be the sin. But he said he was the chief of all sinners. And I look at him and I think all the great things he did, and I find it hard to believe, but he just told us what his past was about. And he did some really bad stuff. What am I trying to tell you? Doesn't matter how much bad stuff you've done in your life. If you have a desire to find God and to love the Lord, he is going to see that and he is going to put his spirit inside you and he's going to call you faithful. And he's going to do great things in your life. I told you he went on in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 to say, be followers of me as I am of Christ. Well, that doesn't mean go out and kill a bunch of people first and then become a Christian. I've had teenagers tell me that when I talk to them about salvation, they say, oh, dude, I want to live my life first. You lived your life first and then came to Jesus. I want to live my life first and then come to Jesus because they think that all the fun is to be had before Christ. And all the trouble is to be had before Christ. And here's the thing about that. Even if their theory had any truth to it, which it doesn't, the reality is you get to live in that life too strong, you might not make it to 53. And you might not make it to ever finding God. But Paul said, follow me. As I follow Christ, not in his past, but in his present. Not in the, all the bad that he did, but in the life he lived as a Christian. Follow him by having a testimony that you can go and talk to other people about. I told you the title is, I haven't always been like this. If you live long enough, you're going to realize life's weird. Can we agree on that? Life has ups and downs. Life moves quickly sometimes. Sometimes you feel like you're in a rut and it's not moving fast enough, but there are good days, bad days, happy days, and sad days. And every year there comes this, it's 48 hours, but it happens in a minute between yesterday and today. Every year there comes this time where July 15th bleeds into July 16th, where it stops being July 15th and it starts being July 16th, and that's not re as relevant to probably anybody else in the whole world as it is to me. Because on July 15th, 1981, I became a Christian. I had what we know is a spiritual birth. So July 15th, 1981, I become a Christian. July 15th, 1982, I celebrated my first Christian birthday or my first spiritual birthday birthday I'd been saved 
for a year. Well, yesterday was July 15th, 2017. So that means that yesterday was my 36th spiritual birthday. I've been saved for 36 years. That's a long time. But that's yesterday. And just to show you how fast life changes and how weird life is and how there's ups and downs, good and bad, ins and outs for everybody, July 15th is the greatest day of celebration in my life. People say, you ask most people, what's the best day of your life? Oh, the day uh, I married my better half. Stop kissing up. She's going to let you come home tonight either way. You know, okay, you feel that way, whatever. All right, praise the Lord. Oh, the greatest day of my life is when I saw my baby coming to the earth. I kind of quasi saw mine coming to the earth. I stayed at the head. I didn't get down in the catcher thing. No, I, I played baseball my whole life. I did enough catching. I played catcher exclusively. Mm -mm, I stayed up top. They're like, you want to watch this? No. No. Watch my, I'm going to look at her. Hand me that baby when everything's, everything. The greatest day of my life when I saw my child come. No, that's not. I thank God for children, especially mine. But undeniably, the greatest day of my life is when I became a Christian and God invaded my heart and soul and changed me forever and let me know that he loves me and he changed my life. Greatest day of my life. July 15th is a celebration for me of the greatest day of my life. But at 11.59, July 15th ends and July 16th begins. And July 16th is not only the day after July 15th, it's the, the, the goes from being the greatest day of my life to the worst day of my life. Because on July 16th at 8.15 in the morning, 11 years ago today, my wife died and left me with a two-year-old and a four-year-old and not knowing what to do. So 11 years ago last night, I was sitting in a hospital in downtown Jacksonville watching Gail struggle as she was preparing to take her last breath, which she ultimately did 11 years ago today. Numbers are a funny thing. I'm not big into numerology. I, I know too many weird Christians that are like, ooh, that's, that's, that's the fifth day of the month. Well, you know, five stands for grace, but tomorrow's going to be six, which stands for sin. So there's a sin and a grace. And they just start making stuff up and, and adding stuff. Uh, but sometimes numbers hit me in, in such a weird way. Okay, so 36 years ago, I became a Christian. 11 years ago, my wife died, went to heaven, and she was 36. This is the only time those 36s will line up together because next year will be 37, but she'll still have died at 36. Okay, so what's the moral of the story? I don't know. But I got a gift card for you if you can figure it out. Bad days, good days, sad days, happy days, time to rejoice time to weep what is that that's life that's life you're gonna have those you're gonna have some really good days in your life you're gonna have some tough days in your life 
But the big question is, are you going to have that great day in your life? Too many people think that they're saved that are not. Their testimony is not really a real testimony because if they were to try to tell how they used to be, how they got saved and God changed them, that's where they'd have to get, uh, <clears throat> he, well, he kind of changed me. Salvation doesn't kind of change you. Salvation doesn't, you see, sitting in church kind of changes you. Walking out praying a prayer and making a decision that you didn't fully embrace kind of changes you. When you get true Holy Ghost, Bible salvation, new birth, spiritual awakening, conversion, biblical renewal, you get changed from the inside out, and there's no doubt about it. This is the kind of thing that happened to Paul. He said in verse 13 that he used to be a blasphemer. In verse 15, he said he was the top sinner. See, he remembered what he used to be. And even though it's been 36 years ago, I remember what I used to be. I, I, I believe that Paul never forgot and he never got over what happened to him one day as he was walking on the Damascus Road and God revealed himself to the Apostle Paul in the person of Jesus Christ. He never forgot it and he never got over it. I want you to hear this if you don't hear anything else. You want to be a successful Christian? You need to do these things that he did. Never forget when God saved you. And never get over the fact that God loves you. Never forgot it, and he never got over it. See, the problem is this church is filled up with people who never got saved, so they can't remember it. And it's filled up with people who did get saved, but they forgot how great it was. That's why people tell me all the time, Pastor Scott, I wish I could get back to being as excited as I was when I first got saved. Oh, well, you got over it. You got over it. You forgot that you were a sinner that needed saving. You forgot what God did for you. I, I, I'm okay with the movie Passion for the Christ. Um, it, it's got some real gory stuff in it, but it's not as gory as what happened to Jesus. But I was so shocked when that movie, The Passion of the Christ, came out that people were standing outside the theater. Movie cameras were filming. Local news cameras were filming these people. They're coming out of the theater weeping, and they were saying, I never knew that Jesus did all that suffering for me. I'll serve him now. I'm thinking, what kind of church you been in? You never knew Jesus suffered, bled, and died for you? That's the whole story. But I tell you what, you might have known it, but if you didn't let it change you, you're not saved. You might know it, but if you gave your heart to God and you forgot about him, then you got over and it's not impacting you now. Paul never forgot. He never got over what happened to him on that Damascus road. And he tells this story in Acts 22 to Festus, the governor. He tells his testimony. And Festus don't like him, wants him, wants him locked up and killed. Uh, and then in, that's in Acts 22. Then in Acts 26, he retells his testimony to Agrippa. And I want to read that for you. It's lengthy, but I want you to hear it because I want you to see how a testimony gets put together because there's power in a testimony. I have been in Bible college most of my adult life. I've been to Bible college. I've been to seminary. I have multiple degrees. And I still can't articulate enough doctrine to overcome crazy folk that want to argue about the Bible. Don't argue Bible with people. The Bible says if a wise person argues with a foolish person, that whether they agree or disagree, there's no real peace in the matter. And I, what I've realized is I can come up with a scripture to all these cultists, Mormon, Jehovah Witness, Satanist, Wiccans, whatever you, Muslim. I've come up with scripture to show them why Jesus is the only way. 
But if they're devious enough, they can come up with Scripture too. And you just end up arguing back and forth what we believe versus what they believe. And they can argue Scripture versus Scripture all day long. But I'll tell you what they can't argue. They can't argue with what happened to me in my bedroom on July 15, 1981. Can't tell me that didn't happen because I was there. That's like trying to tell me I don't like strawberry ice cream. I already been there and had it. I know I like it. We don't need to argue about it. You can't convince me. I don't care. I had somebody tell me, you know they were, they lived in your house. Uh, this lady from Australia came serving our church for a while. She was some type of nutritionist. You couldn't tell it much, but she said she was. And she tried to get me to stop eating ice cream because she claimed that it had antifreeze in it. Well, I had to check that out. She's like, why do you think it doesn't become frozen solid like ice? Because it has antifreeze in it like it's in your car. And it is toxic. And if you put enough in it, it'll kill you. So I studied and I found out, well, it has trace amounts of antifreeze in it, but it ain't killing me and I like it, so I'm down. <laughs> well, she wasn't easy to stop. So she, she, she's like, well, do you know the thing that makes it stick together when you scoop it out, they, they take, some of y'all young, get over it. I studied it, it's factual. They take the soft skin off the anus of animals to coagulate the cream and make it stick together on your spoon. Animal booty. She told me. You're eating antifreeze and anus. I said it really tastes good with sprinkles on it, though. <laughs> you ain't going to convince me I don't like ice cream. And you're not going to convince me that God is not real. Because I've been there, and I already experienced it. I tasted it, and I found out that the Lord is good. So Paul keeps getting arrested because he's out there preaching Jesus. And every time he gets arrested, he wants to tell these people about his story. And I want to read it to you in Acts 26, verse 1. The Bible says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, He's a real preacher. He did this. He, you know, talked with his hands. He started his defense. Now, let me just say this because we got a lot of people in here that have been in and out of jail, starting with me, going all the way to the back row, Jimmy. And I don't know if you got papers on you. I don't know if you got warrants out there. I don't know if you might be, you know, have a date coming up. But if you do, I tell you, do what they did. But don't do this part what they did. Get you a real lawyer. Don't defend yourself in front of the judge, okay? This is something Paul only did because he was smarter and he was more educated than most people. But he, he speaks in his own defense, which doesn't work out for most people. But in verse 2, he said, I'm fortunate, King Agrippa, that you're the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. Well, he's starting off good because he's polishing the apple of the judge. That's a nice way of saying something else. But he, he's kissing up uh, to, to the king because the king holds his life in his hands. The king is also the king and the judge. Verse 3 says, for I know you're an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. 
exclamation point. Now his boldness comes to the surface. His boldness comes to the surface because even though he's in front of the king, the judge who can determine life or death for him, when it comes his turn to speak about Jesus, he's not shy about it at all. Verse 4 says, As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. He's starting his testimony. He's telling about his old life. He's telling about his upbringing. He's telling details about where he used to be. This is how you start a testimony. In verse 5, he said, If they would admit it, they know I've been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. So he's talking about the progression of his life. He was raised with a good Jewish training from his earliest childhood. He graduated to the highest level of religion in Jewish culture, a culture, a member of this group called the Pharisees. Verse 6, he says, now, see this progression? This is what a testimony looks like. He said, now I'm on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. The promise is resurrection. Paul was saying Jesus rose from the dead. Paul was saying that if you killed him, he would raise from the he would rise from the dead. And the religious leaders did not like that. And they thought that was a new religion. But Paul said, this is the same promise God made to our ancestors. This is nothing new. In verse 7, he said, in fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day. And they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. He's saying, all y'all believe that God's going to come and rescue you. All I'm doing is saying it's going on right now, and you want to throw me in jail for believing the same thing you believe. You, you're worshiping God day and night. He said, but they're accusing me. He's on trial. In verse 8, he says, why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? Question mark. This is where the part of the story unfolds to where we get to see where we're at. Do you find it strange, odd, or unbelievable that God can raise the dead? See, people will tell you that all you have to do to be saved is believe in Jesus. Well, that's true in its deepest sense if you understand the type of belief. See, I believe that strawberry ice cream is better than vanilla ice cream. I believe it's got more taste to it. Put a little chunks in there. Give me a little texture. Strawberry. I hope it's strawberry. You know, it might be anus and antifreeze. I don't care. But I don't believe enough in it to bet my eternity on it. See, there's believing in stuff, and then there's believing in stuff on the real. And everybody believes in Jesus. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. Well, what do you have to believe about him? Everybody believes in Jesus. There's more books written about him than any other person that ever lived. Everybody believes in Jesus, but what they don't believe is that he was raised from the dead. Everybody believes Jesus lived. He's a documented figure in history, just like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. I mean, he's, he's a real person. He lived. And that's not the question. The question is, do you believe that God raised him from the dead? This is where true salvation either takes place or it doesn't. He said, I don't know why they think it's so hard to believe that God can raise the dead. Verse 9, he says, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Now he's telling his story about when he was against Christianity. See, because Christianity told him his way was wrong. Well, he didn't like that. Guess what? Neither do people today. 
You tell people, come to Jesus, and he'll give you double for your trouble. And God going to come through for you. And God going to make a way out of nowhere. And God. This lottery? Was uh, selling hype? Selling hope? What are we selling here? Because it sounds like a carnival act. You tell people, come to Jesus, and everything will get better in your life. You might sell a few tickets that way. You come, to, you come and tell people, come to Jesus, uh, and he's going to tell you that you're doing it wrong and you need to change and do it right. Well, people don't like that part, and, and, and Paul didn't like it. Jesus came and said, y'all are doing it wrong, and y'all got to do it my way. Paul's like, and, and I can just hear him now, in the most religious, here's the most religious thing. Some of y'all going to get mad at me because it's your favorite phrase. The devil is a lie. The devil is a lie. Let me just say, grammatically, the devil can't be a lie. The devil is a liar. The devil is a I don't care what you say. The devil is a lie. I can hear Paul saying it right now. Jesus is a lie. He didn't want to be told his way was wrong, and he had to change. So he hooked up with a bunch of other people that didn't believe in Jesus, and he's like, man, if y'all will give me the authority, I will go out and I'll kill them all. I'll drag them in by their necks with throw them in jail, and we will rid our world of these people that are telling us we're wrong and they're right. I got some good news for you. If you're on the Lord's side, you're right. If you're, on the, if you're not on the Lord's side, I got some bad news for you. You're wrong. It's a right-wrong world. It, it's, it's a heaven-a-hell proposition. It's a go-up or go-down reality. In, in verse 10, he said, Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. He took people. Here was their crime, believing in Jesus. I, 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 when we first got saved, Dean and I were going to this church, Hillcrest Baptist Church, and... The preacher used to always say stuff like, if they came in in black mass, why has it got to be a black mass? Why can't they just come in with black masks and machine guns? A pistol wouldn't do. Shotgun, but black mass, and, 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 and said, if you really believe in Jesus, stand up and we'll kill you. He wanted to know how many people be willing to die for Jesus. How many people would you let them drag you off? For your faith and we were all taught to say that we would but i realized something along my way in my christian journey dying for jesus would be about the easiest thing i could possibly do it'd take one second it might take two minutes i mean a good shot be quick but it might i might bleed out take take but it'd be over dying for jesus is quick and easy living for jesus is where the real work comes in but he said, I, I, hey, I sent them to prison. I cast my vote against them when they were He was the one that cast the vote to have the death sentence put on these people. Verse 11, he said, many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. Can you imagine? They come in storming right now with guns saying every one of y'all curse Jesus. You ought to get a magazine or read online some stories from a magazine called The Voice of the Martyrs. And they tell real life stories, not of what happened to Christians thousands of years ago, but what's going on right now. 
about how in countries uh, in, in, in the Middle East, mainly, in large part, where they find Christians meeting, and they go in and they shoot them, and they, and they tell them, curse Jesus or we will kill you. They told a story one time, and the, the, it was, it, people actually lived in eyewitness testimony to the story of how Muslims came into a Christian church. I think it was in Pakistan, and they put a Bible on the floor and said, the only way you're leaving this room alive is to kneel down and spit on that Bible and crawl out of here like a dog. That's, that's a tough choice with a gun to your head. People are like, I'd do it, Pastor Scott. I, I'd do it for sure. Really? You do all that, but you won't give a dime out of a dollar? Really? You'd do all that, but you won't read your Bible five days a week? Really? You'd do all that, but you won't love God and love people? But anyway, they're they, they shooting people, killing people. People were spitting on the Bible, crawling out like dogs, and lived through to testify they did it because they knew God had forgiven them. They had this little girl. She knelt down before the Bible, and as they thought she was going to spit on it, she picked it up and wiped the spit off it on her shirt and with her hands. And she kissed it and clutched it to her chest as they shot her dead. What was her crime? Believing in Jesus. We can't get people to live for Jesus in America where we sit in mostly air-conditioned buildings. And it, these people, all they were doing was believing in Jesus. This man's walking in there threatening their lives and telling them to curse Jesus. I don't know if America will ever turn to that. But what if it did? Would you give up your freedom? Listen, for us that have been behind bars, nobody wants to go back. The people talk about comedians say they made jail so nice I went back twice. That, that's just something to talk about. You don't want to be there. But what if they made it a crime? They, he said, he, even going in their, their synagogues, their churches, making them curse Jesus. He said, I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. He's telling his testimony. In verse 12, he said, one day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and the commission of leading priests. Listen to this story. It's fascinating. About noon, your majesty... As I was on the road, he's talking to the king. He says, I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. So he had his life before. Now some big event is happening in his life. Verse 14 said, we all fell down. And I heard a voice. We all fell down and I heard a voice. I talked to you all a lot about how to understand the Bible. I want you to understand it when you read it. One of the best ways to understand it is to keep certain principles in your mind that will help you understand the Bible regularly. And one of those principles is the principle of inference. It's what's being implied or inferred. He said, we all fell down and I heard a voice. What's he implying by saying, I heard a voice? They didn't hear the voice. We all fell down, but I heard a voice. Paul had an experience that the others didn't have. I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Let me say something to some of y'all. Some of y'all know God is on your case. You know God wants you to be saved. 
Do you know God wants you to give up those addictions and change your life? But you're running. Let me tell you something. You can't outrun God. You can't get away from God. It's useless to fight against the Lord's will. Verse 15, Paul said, Who are you, Lord? I asked, and the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. So here's what happened. Paul had a way of life he was living that was against Jesus, but he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. In verse 26, he said, Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you both from your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles. This is some of the worst news that a Jewish man could ever have. Not only is he about to have to go be on the Lord's side, who he's been persecuting people for, he's going to have to go to a race of people that he hated. See, America, although it was birthed in slavery and has racial problems, did not invent racism. Racism has been around from day one. People have been mad at people forever. Listen, people, it's, it's just crazy because what God wants to bless, the devil wants to mess. What God wants to do to show his power in, the devil wants to do to try to disrupt what God is trying to do. God loves diversity, so the devil don't. So what happens in, 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 every, in every culture? You got these tanning bed white folk. I'm not one of them. Amen. I, I have people tell me, Pastor Scott, you just get membership to the tanning bed because you look kind of white. I'm good with it. I am good with it, and I'm cancer-free. Hallelujah. I'm not going to no tanning bed. I'm not even wrinkle my skin up going to no tanning bed. I got enough wrinkles on my own. White people trying to get darker. Then, then you got black people trying to get lighter. Man, you want to see something. I could, I could put a split screen of Shaquille O'Neal going into the NBA and the Shaquille O'Neal to sit next to the general in the car, and that's 42 different shades of lightness. I could show you pictures of a good-looking black man with an afro wearing a tuxedo on an album cover. Anybody? And I could show you a picture of a circus freak with a mask over his face because his nose got inverted. Went from being a, being a good-looking black man to being a clown. Why? Just was not happy with his shade. White people laying in tanning beds. Black people put, putting on lightning cream. I remember when I went, went in the Army. I, I saw the first farmer's tan on a black man I ever saw. It was wild. My man took his shirt off. He was white as me from here up. Darker than Brother David from here down. Be happy with where you're at. Racism is the plot of the devil. Racism happens inside races. Rich white folk think they're better than poor white folk. Light-skinned black people don't like dark-skinned. Dark-skinned people offended at light-skinned people. Stop hating people and stop hating yourself. Self-hatred is what the devil wants to put on you. Love what God made you to be. Stop trying to be something else. Stop trying to be what you're not. 
Be you. Be thankful for who you are. Listen, everybody, I tell y'all, everybody can't be six foot two, 220 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. Somebody got to be five foot nine and cuddly. Everybody can't be skinny as a rail because that ain't a good look on nobody. But in our culture, you know, we, 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 we've, we've, you know, accepted maybe a little too much of enlargement. When you start changing fat to fat, <laughs> make people feel bad. When you start changing fat, I ain't fat, I'm thick. No, baby girl. <laughs> you about three biscuits past thick. God and then intends you to hit that three digit. That 300 number was not on your plan. Racism. He got a mess. Could you imagine some clans member? This is this is how it goes. This is really what it is. The, the head clans member runs into Jesus on the road to Damascus. He said, Who are you? Because I'm about to go hunt me down some black folk. He said, I'm Jesus, the head of them black folk. And the clans members like, oh, what to do? But he surrendered. And then he said, here's what I want you to do, boy. I want you to go and minister to them and love on them, care for them, share their burdens, and be their pastor. You think the clans man was like, I've been waiting on that my whole life. Go to me, a NAACP rally. Get involved with Dr. King. They took this man who was anti-Christian and anti-Gentile and said, you're going to have to go through something. You Listen, don't believe the hype. Come to Jesus ain't going to solve every problem you got. It might give you a couple of extra problems. I ain't saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's the only way to heaven. Verse 18, he says, you're going to go open their eyes. So they can turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Then they'll receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Paul thought Jewish people were the only people God loved. You realize there are people out there that think that their race of people is the only people God loves? You know, most racism is hidden in religion anyway. Clans people think they're Christian. Ain't no clansmen going to heaven. God don't accept racism. God said, if you can't love the people that you see, you surely don't love a God that you can't see. Ain't no militant black folk, us only, fubu, white devil hating, blue-eyed devil, white people hating, militant racist. Black folk can't be racist. They can when they're killing people. God took this racist man. And said, I'm going to save you. And I'll make you fall in love with people that you never loved before. I'll make you minister to people. And I'm going to let you be the one that helps them go from being on their way to hell to on their way to heaven. And they're going to receive forgiveness for their sins and have a place with God's people. That wasn't an easy message to hear. But sometimes Christianity's not an easy message to hear. So you, people can soften the message to make people like it. 
or they can tell people the truth and say like it or lump it, it's the truth's the truth anyhow. And that's the way we go. Verse 19, Paul says, So, King Agrippa, I obeyed the vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, through all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God. That's the gospel. You must repent of your sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. Listen to what Christianity is. Repent of your sins and turn to God and prove that you have changed by the good things you do. Have you repented of your sins and turned to God? And if you say you have, can you prove it? It's like the one man said, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? you got to be able to prove that you have changed by the good things that you do. Verse 21 says, so some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except the prophets and what Moses said would happen, that Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead, and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Verse 24, suddenly Festus, Festus already heard this story in Acts 22. He's tired of hearing Paul go on and on about his testimony. Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study made you crazy. Verse 25, Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost. Paul knew that this unsaved king understood Jewish custom. He knew about their religion. And he could tell God was moving on king's heart. He said, King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly for I'm sure these events are all familiar to him. For they were not done in a corner he says i know you know that what i know is what you need to know <laughs> verse 27 paul asked a question that could have cost him his life in that culture because king agrippa was polytheistic he worshiped many gods and paul said king agrippa do you believe the prophets he didn't even give him chance to answer he said i know you do that's bold. That is bold, especially in that, in that culture. Verse 28, Agrippa interrupted him. This way he said, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? You're gonna, you think you're going to change me and all these gods I worship off your little testimony speech? You think it's just, just, just like that? I'm just going to fall down and, 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 and just get in love with Jesus? And Paul replied in verse 29, last verse in this testimony. Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. He's standing before the judge, locked down in chains. The whole courtroom is listening. Everybody in the palace is listening. He said, I don't care if you do it quick, if you do it slow. I just hope that you and everybody that hears what I'm saying becomes like I am. I'm not this prisoner. But this man who has been saved and changed by this revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer today that everybody who hears my testimony will become the same as me. 
You want to dress like me? You want to talk like me? You can't be me. I can't be you. But we all can be saved. And I pray that you'd be saved today. See, one good thing about abundant life, you know, we park on dirt. We got lots of challenges. We got a preacher that's honest about his issues. Um, we don't have the best building. We don't have the best parking lot. We don't have the best preacher. But I can guarantee you this. The pastor of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship on Georgetown is saved for real. And every church can't say that about their preacher. I'm not saved because I'm perfect. I'm saved because Jesus changed my life. And I want you to be just like me. I told you yesterday, my 36th spiritual birthday, I've been saved for 36 years. I've been in full-time ministry for 35 of those years, off and on. Um, been serving God my whole life as an adult. And I know this for sure about the Bible. You must be born again. Jesus said in St. John's Gospel, Chapter 3, you must be born again. You were born on whatever day you were born. I was born on August 6, 1963. I'm going to be 54 years old next month. I had a birth date in the natural, but I, see, we all had a birth date in the natural, but I got something beyond that. I got a birthday in the spirit realm. I got a new birth on August 5th, on July 15th, 1981. Yesterday was the 36th anniversary of that. If I asked you when your birthday was, you know that answer. If I ask you when your spiritual birthday is, I don't know if you know that answer. Because you may or may not have even had a spiritual birthday. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to every man that asks of you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. God's Word says, always be ready to tell your testimony. Always be ready to tell people how you were. And when you met God... And how he changed you. That's your testimony. How you used to be, what life was like then, how you met Jesus, and what life's been like since then. Paul used to be a blasphemer and a Jesus hater. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and God changed his life, and he became a servant of the very Jesus that he was persecuting. He, he told his testimony everywhere he went. You need to tell your testimony to people. They can argue Bible with you, but they can't argue testimony with you. I spent more time on the scripture today than I'm going to spend on my testimony. I'm going to shorten my testimony down today, but I want to tell you briefly what my testimony is. See, I was born into the world in 1963, August 6, 1963. I was born into a Catholic home. I was in Catholic church the first week of my life, christened uh, 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 under the the under St. Christopher, and I, I was being raised in the Catholic Church. My parents got divorced, and they kicked us out. That's what they did in the 60s. They didn't care who was right and who was wrong. They kicked everybody out. They weren't going to have divorced people in their church, so we did what all, you know, people do. When Catholics kick you out, you got to become a Baptist. <laughs> Amen? So we, we, we did that, and I went to kindergarten, first, second grade in England. Parents got divorced, moved back to America, we start riding the church. Man come around and says, hey, I drive the bus to church. We give away candy, and we sing songs, play games, and have lots of fun. Uh, Y'all be in front of your house tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, and I'll pick you up. I'm down. What would you say? Party? Free candy? <laughs> I already told you all about, uh, you know, anus and, and what is that other stuff? Antifreeze. So start riding the church bus. Start, start, going, start going to church when I was little. 
in, in, in living in Virginia, where we almost died, drowned. I thought it was Spain. But anyway, started riding a church bus to this church called Grace Brethren. And I was in the third grade, first year of school when we moved back to America. And going to this church, just getting candy off the bus, playing games, singing songs, having fun. But one day the preacher stands up and says, if you don't want to go to hell, come down to the front right now and pray with me so God won't punish you forever in the devil's hell. Hey, I ain't the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I knew I didn't want to go to hell. So I walked down the aisle. He said, you want to get saved? Uh-huh. You want to follow Jesus? Uh-huh. He said, say these words. God will save you. He prayed. I said, follow. I prayed what he prayed. He said, you're a Christian now. He turned around. He said, this is little Scotty Becker. And he comes today to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. And everybody that's happy, say amen. And everybody said amen, and they clapped for me. He told me I need to get baptized. And so I got baptized, and they gave me this little red Bible. So I'm like, I'm a Christian now. Got a Bible. Got baptized. The preacher said I was a Christian. Then we moved to Jacksonville. In 1975, I was 11 years old. Figured, well, we ride the bus. Dude came by, knocking on the door. They got a bus too. Rode the bus to the church on Normandy Boulevard, West Normandy Baptist Church. I was 11 years old. There's a four-year-old girl there named Gail. That I swore when she grows up, she's gonna be beautiful. I'm gonna marry her. And when she grew up, she was beautiful, and I married her. And I still have the vacation Bible school certificate. From 1975, when Gail's mom taught me in vacation Bible school. And so I'd known these people my whole life coming up from 11 years old. So we're going to church. I'm carrying my little red Bible to church. That year in summer camp, the pastor said, you Christian teenagers, you ought to be bold for Jesus. The Bible says whosoever believes in him should not be ashamed. If you're not ashamed of Jesus, you ought to carry your Bible to school. I dare you. Don't dare me. Come on now. You dare me. On the west side of Jacksonville, man, you can't dare me to do anything. So I carried this Bible to school every day in the seventh grade. First nine weeks at Eugene Butler Seventh Grade Center on the railroad track. Transferred from Eugene Butler to an even worse school, if imaginable. James Weldon Johnson off King's Road carried this Bible to school every day, seventh grade, on top of my books, bold with me and my red Bible. Wasn't reading it, but he dared me. Looked like a good way to get in confrontation to me. So I carried it every day. They told me I was saved. I'm like, well, I've got to carry a Bible. Preacher dared me. Get involved in church. Get involved in the youth group. Having fun. Doing dirt in the youth group. Went to Disney World on the trip with the youth. Smoked reefer in the hotel on the youth trip. Carried my Bible. 
realized that was wrong, said, I'm not going to do that anymore, go to eighth grade, go on to eighth grade, you know, that started getting difficult years right there, seventh, eighth grade, Stillwell Junior High School, and people smoking weed, people getting drunk, smoking cigarettes. I carried my Bible a couple times, stopped carrying it because of the pressure. You know, there was a lot going on there. There's chicks there, too. And so, but people would ask me in seventh grade, hey, man, you, you want to hang out? Get high with us after school in the woods? I bet they're still getting high in the woods at Stillwell Junior High School. And I can remember in eighth grade telling people, I don't do that. I'm a Christian. You want to go get drunk with us? I don't do that. I'm a Christian. I was in the eighth grade at Stillwell Junior High School. My sister was in the ninth grade. That was still junior high school back long ago. Stillwell Junior High School. She was my hero, my person I looked up to, president of her class, honor society, head cheerleader. She, she had all the popular friends. I was a little brother she was tagging, tagging along with. Next year comes along. I go to ninth grade. She jumps up in high school. She's not there anymore. So she got a whole new group of friends. She's driving a car. I'm still trying to tag along. She's riding around meeting all these older people, juniors and seniors in high school, and she starts to lose her way. And she starts doing stuff that I didn't even know she was doing. One day, we're just doing what we do. We're walking around the neighborhood, Country Creek on Normandy Boulevard, and looking in a new house. It's a house. What? Looking at these houses being built. What, they, listen, children, stop roaming around in people's houses that are being built. They don't want you in there, especially you devious, doing stuff you shouldn't do. We're sitting down talking about life, and she pulls out, I'll never forget, she pulls out that purple crown royal bag with the gold rope. Y'all know anybody know what I'm talking about? That bag ain't big enough to put no big old giant bottle of crown in. But it's just the right side to carry weed in. And she pulls out a joint. She said, hey, you want to smoke this? We don't do that. We're Christians. Because, you know, I got a Bible. And she says, I'll never forget it. She said, oh, it's not that bad bug, does it? She had a friend named Bug. Listen, if your child is hanging around somebody named Bug, 8-Ball, Q-Stick, anybody going with two names, Ray Ray, listen. Ray Ray or Pookie, do not let your children hang around Bug, Ray Ray, and Pookie. Bug does it. They told me everything I need to know. So there I was. Ninth grade. My sister, who I've followed through everything. The only reason I walked the aisle in that church is because she had done it. The only reason I got baptized is because she had done it. I just followed her. She, she never got in trouble. I got in all the trouble. She would if, if there's a white sheep, I don't know. But I was if there was a black sheep, I was it. And so she's like, okay. So she fired it up. She smoked it. I smoked it. Did for me the same thing Reaper did for everybody the first time they did it. Nothing. I didn't know anything about how to inhale marijuana. And so, I, you know, she was acting high, so I acted high. <laughs> it could have been any kind of dirt in that. But that led on a path. Y'all see 
my, my, my sweet little sister sitting there with her deacon husband, all churchified and church administrator, led me into drugs, alcohol, twisted living. I started smoking weed. I started drinking. We both quickly become massive alcoholics to the point where we had been sick. We, we were known as the brother and sister in high school, most likely to pass out drunk on your yard and vomit in your driveway. Am I right? Both of us. Once we got tired of getting sick on rum, Bacardi 151, once we swore that off, we just went to a whole grain gallon jug liquor in the trunk of the car, drink it hot, it'll get you quicker. Lived that life, got involved in selling drugs, got arrested a couple of times, wasn't carrying my Bible anymore, wasn't talking about Jesus anymore, wasn't talking about being a Christian anymore, wasn't talking about I don't do that anymore. Living a life, my, my mom was so stressed out dealing with me as a single parent. She told me, you ever get arrested again, I won't come get you. I got you for the last time. You know, kids don't ever believe that. I got arrested. Summer of 1981. <laughs> I was sitting in a jail cell in St. Augustine, Florida, and the cop came and told me, boy, you are so pathetic. Your mama won't even come get you. But we're going to release you to your own recognizance. And I thought, man, this is a low even for me. I was in St. Augustine. No car. You know, they, they that car was gone. The people I was with, they, they, they wasn't there. Mom won't come get me out of jail. So I'm looking at walking home from St. Augustine, St. John's County Jail. And that put me on a path to where on July 15, 1981, I was coming home late. Out of school, out of high school, never took an ACT, SAT test in high school, never was planning on going to college, didn't have a job. Was a dope dealer. Didn't need a job. Had money. Coming home from a party, riding down the road with my window down, hanging my head out the window, not because I didn't have air conditioning. Some of y'all old drunks know what I'm talking about. I was just trying to stay awake and make it home alive. I came home, shirt off, hot July. I walked in my room. I threw my shirt down. I'm going to go to the kitchen get something to eat. Come home from a party, you hungry. And I turned back and I looked at where my shirt landed, and it was real similar to where that napkin landed. It landed on my, I, I thought I was throwing it on my bed, but it landed on the night table next to my bed. And it landed touching that little red Bible. I hadn't read that Bible in years. I didn't carry it to school. But it sat on my nightstand like a piece of furniture. Just part of my room. And I looked at that little red Bible. I thought, man, I ain't seen you in a long time. And I walked over to this little red Bible. And I started flipping through it. 
And I started seeing places that I'd underlined in it and reading that. And the Spirit of God began to speak to my heart and to let me know this is really your Bible, but you don't live it. And God revealed himself to me at 69, 6956, Malden Lane, right off Blanding Boulevard, 3.30 in the morning. I had a revelation. But just because I carried my Bible to school every day in seventh grade didn't make me a Christian. And I wasn't living a Christian life. And I couldn't prove by the way I was living that I was saved. And I prayed, and I remember what I prayed because I was friends with the pastor's son. We used to get high together. And I prayed, and I asked God, Lord, please forgive me my sins and make me a real Christian. And I prayed, not a Christian like Jimmy, because I don't believe he's a real Christian. I want to be a real Christian like Peter, James, and John were real Christians. And God saved me on that day. Wasn't no organ grinding. Wasn't no preacher talking. Me, that little red Bible, and God in my room. And I asked God to forgive me of my sins and save me and to make me new, and he did. And I wept, and I cried, and I prayed. And I'd read that Bible, and I started singing songs in my bedroom by myself that I remembered riding those buses to church. And I read the Bible, and I, I, I just wept, and I cried, and I read the Bible, and that's all I did. I got a call that afternoon from a dude that I was selling dope with, and he said, you ain't going to believe what happened to me yesterday. I said, man, you ain't going to believe what happened to me yesterday. He said, you remember Ted Boone from the park we used to play baseball with? I said, yeah, I know Ted. He said, he tricked me into saying I go to church with him and I didn't need you to go to watch my back because I don't know them people like that I said man that's what I want to do I fell in love with God last night he's like man I got to go I'll see you Sunday come get me I came and got him Sunday morning we rode to church with Ted Boone I jumped out of my car got in Ted's car we rode to church Hillcrest Baptist Church on Sunday morning I walked the aisle and I, I made a public profession of my faith. Preacher said, if you've been saved recently and you've never declared that publicly, you come now because God said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father on judgment day. I walked out, told everybody I gave my life to Christ. They said, well, we got church tonight. You need to come back. So I'm like, okay, bet. I'm a Christian now. I went back to church Sunday night, met some people there. They said, hey, we got a Bible study tomorrow night for young people. If you want to come, Monday night Bible study, bet. I'm in. Went to Monday night Bible study. Met some more people there. They said, hey, we're going to go watch the men play church softball tomorrow night if you want to come. I'm like, sure, I got nothing else doing. I I'm, I'm changed my whole life. I gave my heart to God. I'm in the church now. So Tuesday night at church, Wednesday night back to church. They said Thursday night, which is come out, 7 o'clock, door to door evangelism. Door to door, knocking on people's door, leading them to Christ. Thursday night, so we went in visitation. Go there meet some people there they said hey we got a deal on friday and saturday night called the peacemaker it's, it's bible study it's concert it's a cool thing at the church it's at the church i'm in I, I was into the world now i'm into god friday night church saturday night church sunday morning back to church sunday night back to church monday night youth bible study tuesday night men's softball game wednesday night back to church Thursday night, soul winning visitation. friday saturday night back to the peacemaker sunday morning church sunday night church monday night 
youth Bible study, Tuesday night men's softball game, Wednesday night midweek Bible study, Thursday night soul winning visitation, Friday, Saturday night peacemaker Bible study, Sunday morning back to church, Sunday night back to church, Monday night youth Bible study, Tuesday night no softball. I don't have a job. I've abandoned my old way of life. These church people all I got. I'm like, well, what are we going to do? I've been with y'all every day for the last four weeks. Like, let's meet up at Normandy Boulevard or Normandy Mall. We met up at Normandy Mall when it was Normandy Mall, and we sat on the hoods of our cars, and we read Bible to each other, and we prayed together, and we sang songs together. That's how I came to the Lord. When people say, Pastor Scott, did God change you? When you guys say, God made such a radical change in my life, I'm going to church every day of the week. My mom thought I was on some type of drug trip, called the church, asked them, what are you brainwashing my drug addict, alcoholic, no good, criminal son? Listen, this is how crazy parents can be. I gave up that life and became a Christian, and she was still mad at me. Because I was telling her that I'm right and she's wrong. I'm following the Lord. I'm loving the Lord. My sister been out living in the world. She moved back home. She sees what's going on in my life. I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm a Christian now, so I'm trying to do all the Christian things. I'm helping out around the house. Never done that before in my life. I'm folding towels on the couch. Never done that before. And my sister comes in and said, that's enough is enough. What is going on with you? You in here folding towels. You're going to church. Something, what is happening? I tell her what happened to me. I share my testimony with her. She comes to church. She gets saved. We start ganging up on my mom. My mom don't like that. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Y'all can't tell me about a Christian. Yeah, I, I, I've been in the church. I took y'all to church. You can take us to church. You sent us to church. We start loving on mom. Start begging mom to come to church. Please, mom, come to church. Please come to church for my birthday. Please, Mom, come to church. It's a special day. Please, Mom, come to church with us. And she finally gives in, get to church, guest preacher. I'm like, I'm shot out now. Y'all know, you bring somebody to church, you do not want a guest preacher. If it's good for you to be going there, you want them to get the whole shot. And this, this dude, 900-year-old, bald, had three hairs on his head that were white. Dude, little shark, dude, about five, four foot three. 179-year-old dude going to preach. Brother Connie Johnson, he got up and he started preaching. I don't even remember what he said, but he said something that resulted in my mom getting up from her chair and walking down the front of that aisle. And I'm going to tell you what, if you're a real Christian and you got somebody in the room and you see them get up and you see them make that walk down that aisle to give their heart to God, it does something on the inside of you. So my family made a realization of there's a difference between going to church. We've been to church. There's a difference in carrying Bibles. We carry Bibles. There's a difference in acting religious. We had acted religious. There's a difference in real salvation. And I know it's late, but I want to finish with this. I want to let you know, the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. And it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God doesn't want you to perish. God doesn't want you to die and go to hell. See, when that preacher 
presented me to the church and said, this is little Scotty Becker. He comes today to give his life to Jesus Christ. Everybody clapped for me and told me I was a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. I just prayed that prayer because he told me to. That prayer don't have magic dust on it. It didn't save me. It didn't change me because I wasn't ready to be saved. I wasn't ready to be changed. I was still in my, in my head. I wasn't ready to give up on me and become some new person that served only God. So I drifted back to my old ways. Here's the thing. The Bible says if you become a Christian, God changes you, not on the outside only. Church changes you on the outside. God changes you on the inside. That little deal I did in third grade, that was cool. I walked the aisle. I prayed what he said to pray. I got baptized. I carried my Bible. I had a little certificate. But none of it was real to me. And I wonder why I could walk an aisle, pray a prayer, ask God to save me, and it didn't work. And that bothered me for a long time. Because lots of people have walked aisles, prayed prayers, and it didn't work. And I wondered why until God finally showed me the answer in his word. In Jeremiah, God said that you will search for me, and you will find me only when you search for me with your whole heart. And just like I walked an aisle in the third grade and thought I was saved when I wasn't, those people told me I was saved. It was the worst thing they could have done to me. Because I can remember being in high school and people trying to tell me about Jesus. I'm the biggest dope dealer in the high school. People try to tell me about Jesus. I'm like, nah, I'm saved, man. I got saved when I was in the third grade. I'm one saved, always saved. You don't need to tell me about Jesus. I know Jesus. I didn't know him like that. I knew who he was. But I wasn't born again. I was just churchified. And I'm going to tell you something. God sent me here today to tell some of y'all, you are not born again. You don't have a spiritual birthday. You couldn't tell me right now if I said, when did you get saved? You don't know. You don't have any testimony at all. You can't tell me where you were, when you met Jesus, and how it changed your life. All you can talk about is church. You ain't changed on the inside. You know deep down in your heart that it ain't well with your soul. You know that if you died right now, you can't be sure that you'd go to heaven. Why would you live in that uncertainty? Why would you live in that area of not being sure when the Bible says whosoever will may come? Jesus said that if you would confess him before people, he'd confess you before his father on judgment day. Listen, walking an aisle won't make you saved. Praying with me won't make you saved. I got no magic dust to sprinkle on you. But if you really are ready to stop being unsaved and get born again, Listen, the biggest problem with church members is most of them never been born again. The Bible declares that the majority of Christians are not, the majority of church members are not truly saved. Jesus said a lot of people will say to me on judgment day, I did all these cool things, but I was in the church. I was in the choir. I preached. I taught. He's going to say, but you never really had a relationship with me. And I want to tell you something. What you, you, it's not church membership that you need. It's not baptism that you need. It's not a new leaf that you need to turn over. You need to get saved on the inside. You need to get Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled, Jesus Christ, Bible salvation. And if you want to get that, there's no reason to put that off. If you want, I'm talking to you as real as I can talk to you today. I'm talking to you from somebody who was somewhere, who met Jesus Christ in a real way, and God changed my life. 
and gave me a real salvation. And I want to see you have that. Some of y'all always doubting your salvation, wondering why you're always doubting your salvation. That's God's grace on your life, trying to let you know you're not really saved. People talk about the devil's bothering me, trying to make me doubt my salvation. The devil would never try to make you doubt your salvation. He wants you to think that you're saved when you're not. Some of y'all sitting here thinking right now, I've already seen this. I've been through this. I already walked out. I already prayed the prayer. I know I'm saved. You know you're not. You know deep down on the inside of you, you are not. You know that you don't really have right standing with God. But if you are honest enough to admit that you are in need of a Savior, I know a Savior who is willing to save you. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I was a sinner then. God saved me. I still sin now, but when I sin, I repent because I have the Holy Ghost living inside me to guide me and to convict me. Some of y'all wonder why you can't beat your addiction. Some of y'all wonder why you can't beat your depression, why you can't beat always falling down and bumping your head. God is trying to get your attention. All you got to do is let go of your pride. All you got to do is surrender your life to God. The hardest thing in the world is trying to act churchy when you ain't really saved. But the easiest thing in the world to do is to surrender your life and let God change you. And I want you to give your life to God today. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for saving me. 36 years ago, you saved me when I didn't deserve it, God. You saved me when you didn't have to, and I'm grateful. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you will save the lost, encourage the saved. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.